Welcome to Mad Dogs and Englishmen, episode number eight. This is Kevin Williamson reporting from Buckley Towers in Midtown Manhattan. And I am here with Charles Christopher Wilson Cook reporting from London. And you know, before we get started, actually, I had a question for you. What's that music we've been using for the intro? Is that one of yours? It is. I, I actually wrote and recorded that, yeah, quite a while ago. So a lot of people don't know that you were uh, you were a rock star before you came in. I, I was a little bit, absolutely. It's my it's my guilty secret. I was uh, I looked like a hippie as well. And you kind of still do. You look a little well. You're sort of like a, a upper class English version of Shaggy from Scooby Doo. Well, <laughs> which is I think on the first time I went on the National Review cruise, that's actually how Jonah introduced me. Ah well, and uh, I guess great minds and and all that sort of stuff. What's the music called? The piece. Um, I never finished it, but it was going to be uh, a track called Kite. Mm. And what was your band called? I've never, I've never seen them or anything on YouTube or any of that stuff. Uh, it was called In Light, but I was also recording some stuff uh, myself. That uh, and that track, the the piano is is sort of the the type of uh, piano or keyboard style device that was used by Supertramp on Breakfast uh, in America. <laughs> Which you often have now, since you're uh, an immigrant to our to our fine republic. Uh, okay, from from rock to ad hoc, uh, Obamacare. Yet another set of exemptions and rule changes and delays and such implemented with, as far as I can tell, no legal authority of any kind. Expand on that. Well, this is from a story in The Hill, and Elise Weibeck, who I'm sure is, is very nice, writes that the Obama administration is set to announce another major delay in implementing the Affordable Care Act. And then she says, easing election pressure on Democrats, which seems to me the last thing that you would think about when the executive branch arrives rough, roughshod over the legislative branch. There's a great quote in here as well. Just after she says that the cancellations would have created a firestorm for Democratic candidates in the last crucial weeks before Election Day, she has a quote from a nameless uh, consultant in the health insurance industry. And he says, I don't see how they could have a bunch of these announcements going out in September, not when they're trying to defend the Senate and keep their losses at a minimum in the House. This is not something to have out right there before the election. Clearly, the president and many in the media have discovered that part of the Constitution that, uh, that, that allows presidents to suspend it if it's an election year. Um, right, the, uh, the famous election year provision in the, uh, that's in the 31st Amendment, isn't it, I think? <laughs> I think it's the, the 47th Amendment, I think. But no, he, um, you know, the reason that there will be a bunch of these announcements going out in September is because the law, as we are always reminded, that was passed through Congress, signed by the President and upheld by the Supreme Court, demands that they will. Now, if conservatives are supposed to accept that it is the law, then you would presume that its defenders and advocates would have to work by the same rules, but they don't seem to, to do so. Yeah, and I was just thinking how many emails I've gotten written in all capital letters saying it's the law, but apparently it's not the law when it's inconvenient for it to be the law. One thing about this story that in a sense was encouraging to me is that really for the first time you're starting to see in the uh, in the media a general acknowledgement that all of these delays and changes and ad hoc extensions and such things are really being driven by politics and not by policy. And that's been 
you know, one of our, our major criticisms is that when you entrust an unelected bureaucracy or you entrust an executive branch with this sort of uh, this sort of willy nilly kind of power that's not really tied down to the letter of the law or what the, uh, the statutory restrictions actually are then you're opening yourself up to all sorts of abuse. It's not a question of when is it going, or if it's going to be perverted for political ends, but only, but when. Right. I mean, we have elections for a reason. This is a representative democracy. It's a constitutional republic with a representative democracy. Now, if the idea of the United States was to simply put in place a dictatorship which was responsive to the people in some sort of direct democratic sense and therefore made changes on the fly, this behavior would just about be acceptable, but it's not. The basic idea is people come in, they enjoy some measure of power, not absolute power like in a parliamentary system, but some measure of power, and then they are judged for it. And the story of Obamacare is the story of the president trying at every single stage to make sure that neither he nor his own party has to pay for the mistakes that they've made and has to have the law judged at the ballot box. And this is just another example of that. And to have the media sitting there and saying, well, of course he had to do that, or he, he might have lost seats. Well, he's supposed to lose seats if people are annoyed with it. And I guess I would just say, what I wonder uh, long term is what exactly is their plan here? So they push it back to after 2015 and say they don't lose the Senate. Well, what are they going to do? Is it suddenly going to become popular in 2015? I mean, what is their electoral argument? Well, don't worry about getting rid of us in 2014. Re-elect us so that we can enforce this in 2015 and 16. I'm not quite sure what their long-term plan is. Yeah, I think that's a fairly interesting question. Although, in a sense here, I think that because you're such a nasty, partisan sort of guy, that you're being unfair to the Democrats, and specifically you're being unfair to the Nancy Pelosi model of legislation, which, you know, we gave her a hard time about Congress passing this bill that nobody had ever read, and then her saying you have to pass it to find out what's in it. As it turns out, none of that stuff matters. It doesn't matter that Congress didn't read the bill. It doesn't even matter what's actually in the bill, because what's in the bill apparently is not going to be enforced. What's going to be enforced is whatever President Obama happens to need politically at any given moment. Yeah, and you and I have both written about the degree to which this bill and indeed the proposed immigration bill, the one that passed the Senate, are effectively enabling acts. They're full of the Secretary Shah. But uh, as poor as Obamacare is as a piece of legislation for a republic, it's not this bad. I mean, he has crossed the line. This isn't just that he's been given carte blanche. I mean, he, he really has in terms of delaying the individual uh, sorry, the employer mandate, um, delaying the small business provisions, um, the mess with the, uh, the, the exchanges, and now effectively um, you know, delaying the whole point of Obamacare, which was to bring private health insurance in with what the government wanted, in line with what the government wanted to be. Uh, he, is, he is picking and choosing which parts of it he likes, and that's not part of the bill. Yeah, so other than you know, the obvious question, why do we bother writing laws down, I guess the thing that you know, people are looking for is, well, what do you do about it? You know, what can effectively be done about it? So we had a chance to do something about it in 2012, which was the election. And the American people, in their wisdom, chose to reelect the Obama administration and everything that they stand for. So I suppose that you could take it to court. You could have someone come in and say, well, the president is doing things that he has no legal power to do, and he should be stopped from doing that. 
And in a matter of something like eight or nine years, that might get sorted out yeah. in the uh, judicial process after uh, Obama has written the 18th volume of his memoirs and perfected his golf game. Short of one of those things, what, uh, what exactly can we do about it? Or are we just stuck with this kind of ad hoc autocracy? Well, there's not much, as you say, that we, we can do about it. And I think that's why infinitely delaying judgment from the electorate is so sinister. I mean, I would take slight issue with your characterization of 2012 as some sort of referendum on Obamacare. It was certainly a referendum on Obama, and you're right. Had the anger at Obamacare been so pronounced, uh, then Obama would have been removed from office. But Obamacare really hadn't gone into effect by 2012. And if the president keeps doing this, it won't really have gone into effect by 2014 either. But again, I would say, okay, so perhaps the Democrats can hold on if they keep getting rid of all of the bits of their signature legislation that they don't like. But to what end? Because if it never comes into effect, why, why did they pass it in the first place? What have they actually achieved? Well, I think what they've achieved is they passed this law, and the Affordable Care Act is never going to go into effect as written, but it leaves open the question of what is going to go into effect. And apparently they can just make that up as they go along, and we're stuck with it. So how difficult do you think it would be, given this president, for a Republican president to come in and dismantle it? Well, I think that it, you know, it's going to be hard. The thing, you know, if you ever notice the thing about Obama is that his popularity is always at its peak when he's got a Republican nemesis. You know, he looks pretty good next to John McCain, apparently, to a lot of voters. He looks pretty good next to Mitt Romney, apparently, to a lot of voters. But when he's standing on his own, defending his own policy then he has uh, trouble. So the problem is who that Republican president is going to be and how uh, people are going to react to him. So, you know, it's one thing to come in and say, we've got a different model for reorganizing healthcare and reforming it. We've got a better way of helping to have real markets emerge in health insurance and things like that. But if you've got a figure up there who has a difficult time explaining these things, if you have a figure up there who talks like a typical Republican elected official or a typical Republican office seeker has for the last few years, it's going to be very difficult. You know, we've looked at doing things like, you know, we, we've known that we have a problem with Social Security in the long run for a long time. For 30 years, we've known we've had a serious problem with this. Uh, Medicare, similar situation. For years, we've known that we've got a real long-term problem with this. It's measured not in the trillions of dollars, but in the tens of trillions of dollars. And every time someone comes out and says, well, we don't have to cut these programs. We can change the formula by which we calculate the rate of growth, which will reduce the rate, reduce the rate of growth in these programs just a little bit over you know, X number of years, which in the case of the Social Security things that were being talked about recently, amounted to a whopping $3 for every $1,000 in benefits paid. And people had a conniption fit. You know, when George W. Bush, one of the best things he tried to do during his presidency was Alfred this eensy beensy teeny whittle bit of Social Security reform. And Republicans who have, if nothing else, a sense of self-preservation, ran away from him as fast as they could. He was out there twisting in the wind by himself on this because nobody has the guts to touch it. So the problem with Obamacare is that somebody out there somewhere is getting subsidies already. Someone's getting payments. Somebody is left better off by this legislation than worse off. And fighting with those people in that particular set of interests is going to be really difficult because you're going to have someone coming out and saying, oh, goodness, you know, my 12-year-old daughter has this rare 
unknown disease. And without Obamacare, she wouldn't be able to get coverage. And therefore, if you want to reform this program, you're killing my children and everyone's going to have a gasp and Oprah Winfrey will do a show about it. And it'll be really difficult to do. And that's the problem in the long term with programs like this is that no matter how much they suck, and this program does kind of suck, they're really hard to get rid of. You know, Social Security is a terrible deal for most people, especially people our age or your age, especially moving forward. But try to cut a penny of it and you're going to have blood in the streets or at least the political equivalent thereof. So I, you know, short of um, short of a real unexpected kind of popular repudiation of Obama and his health care program, which I don't expect really to happen, it's going to be difficult to get that done. Now, if there happens to be some sort of, you know, wave in 2016 where people are saying, uh, we really, really don't want this. Uh, this has made most of our lives measurably and manifestly worse rather than better. And we're disappointed in it. And we want to do something else. There's maybe a chance of that happening. But frankly, I think that um, those sorts of occurrences are really quite rare. And I think the anti-Obamacare backlash has already happened. You know, it happened in 2010. I didn't expect there to be a second wave. Well, that's uh, that's always the problem with uh, with passing big laws like this is, as you say, however bad they are. They do tend to stick around. I'm thinking at the moment of the British National Health Service, which is really not very good, but nonetheless is the national religion. And beyond all criticism, thankfully, uh, we haven't got there with Obamacare yet. And this is one of the reasons that I think that Republicans, even if quietly they think that replacement might be a better option, probably need to keep talking about repeal. Because the moment this becomes in the public imagination, settled law in the way that social security has been, uh, then the game is up. I mean, there is a real status quo bias in the United States. uh, And this, you know, polling is incredible on this. It shows that I think a third of the population think it's been repealed. (laughs) Yeah, this is not settled in the way that Medicare is is settled in the uh, in the imagination. I would just also say I think Democrats do have a problem, though, trying to sell it i mean because they can't keep their story straight you know one of my followers on twitter made a great point he said that obama and and much of the press said over and over and over again that obamacare wasn't causing these cancellations that that was because the insurance companies were greedy and that it was entirely outside of the power of the government to do anything that insurance companies had seized on this and they decided that they were going to stop offering plans that were in line. Now, that's a silly enough argument in and of itself. That's like saying that, uh, you know, the government makes what I write illegal and then I'm the one to blame if I write it. Obviously, the law had a a huge part in it. But if that's their argument, then one has to ask what exactly is the president saying, hey, you can keep your plans after all going to do if the insurance companies aren't listening to the White House. They can't have both. And they can have both, but they will keep trying to have both as long as they can, and they will keep moving the goalposts in the argument. And unfortunately, you're not going to have, uh, you know, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the mainstream media, anyone else really drawing attention to the fact that not only the arguments, but the uh, the alleged substance of the policy keeps changing every few days in response to uh, political necessities, which is why people will have to keep listening to this podcast. Absolutely. And I suppose that's both a positive and the negative note to end on negative in that the criminal underreporting of the way in which this has been handled is depressing, positive in that people still seem to be reasonably set against it, despite the lack of coverage.
Yeah. Are you going to get some free health care while you're home from the NHS because well, you know, it's such high quality? Actually, just before we finish, I would like to dispel a myth. A lot of people often say to me, well, it's all right for you opposing Obamacare because you can just run back to England and use your beautiful socialized medicine if you get in trouble. That's not actually true. The National Health Service has removed me from its roles. I am not eligible as a resident of another country. So if anyone is listening and thinking of tweeting that at me, don't. <laughs>